We're in a series called Seasons. Uh, We're going over some of the different seasons that you and I find ourselves in uh, multiple times, really, throughout our lives. So let's define terms. When we say mountain, when I say I went up on the mountain, or when we find ourselves in a season on the mountain, what do we mean? We mean this. When your soul is completely satisfied in Him. When when your soul, the, 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 the you on the inside is completely, you don't need anything else, it's completely satisfied in Him. Whether it's for a, a week, or whether it's even for an hour, whatever it is, even for the briefest of moments, when your soul is completely satisfied in Him, where you know, you know that you know that you know that He is real and that He loves you and cares for you deeply, you are on the mountain. And if you've ever been in that spot, and if you, if you believe in Jesus, my guess is you've been on the mountain at one point or another, but if you've ever been in that spot, you know that there's, there's a part of you that doesn't want to come down the mountain, right? There's a part of you that just wants to stay there because you feel good. You feel, you feel different than when you're in the monotony of life, when your schedule's getting chaotic. You feel when you're on the mountain, you want to stay there because God seems so close and so real. You don't want to leave. There's nothing better on this earth. And the reality is that you and I can't and probably shouldn't stay on the mountain forever. We have to come down. But there's a couple questions. You can see them up on the screen that we're going to try to answer today. Is how, maybe you've experienced this, how do you come down the mountain without crashing down the mountain? I don't know if you've ever came crashing down the mountain. I certainly have. And what do you do when you get to the bottom? Like, what do you do when you get back to real life and the stresses, and the chaos of real life, what do you do at the bottom? I think these are important questions that we're going to try to come around, and we're going we're gonna to actually try to answer them by looking at 2 Corinthians 3, but in order to understand 2 Corinthians 3, we actually need to go all the way back in the Old Testament to Exodus, and figure out, see the context of what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter. Three. So let me just give you a brief overview. If you if you've been uh, if you know the Bible at all, you probably have heard some of this story. God parted the Red Sea. You remember that story? Have you seen the Prince of Egypt? That's that's actually where my my mind goes to when uh, when I think of parting the Red Sea. Like Moses just takes his staff and man, um, parting the Red Sea. God did that. He led his people out of slavery into into Egypt. They found themselves in the wilderness, but as they were in the wilderness, they realized, hey, we don't have a lot to eat, and so God, being a good God, provides them bread, provides them manna, and the people are appreciative, they kind of went crazy and tough, some took too much, some took too little, but God provided that for them, and then after a while, they started complaining incessantly, and they were not liking being in the wilderness, and so God heard their complaints as God being gracious and merciful as he is, decides to break a rock open and has water for them so that they can survive, and 
and thrive in the, in the wilderness. And they wandered around and eventually and came to Mount Sinai. And their leader, Moses, when they came to Mount Sinai, God told him to go up the mountain. And so Moses does go up the mountain. And starting in Exodus 20, God gives them, you've probably heard this, God gives Ten Commandments, and then a whole bunch of other like crazy detailed things about the tabernacle. We don't have time to really get into the tabernacle, but um, the tabernacle was established because God wanted to be near to his people. And there was a certain way, if you read Exodus, that he wanted this thing to be built. It was very, very specific. And so God tells him all this. God tells Moses while he's on the mountain, the Ten Commandments, and God tells him all of these different crazy laws about what the priest can wear and what not, and how many cubits to make the tabernacle. And while he's up there, the people are getting impatient. They're like, what is going on? He, Moses is taking forever. And so as you do, they make a golden calf. They, they get all their gold together, and they make an idol in the shape of a golden calf. God sees this, and God's like, oh man, like, are, are you kidding me? After, after what I did for these people, not only take them out of slavery, but I, I gave them bread, and I gave them water, and now they're, they're worshiping another God, and his anger burned, and he wanted to just get rid of the people and start over with Moses, because he really liked Moses. Moses was the one who was interceding on behalf of the people. And Moses was like, no, 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 let me, let me go down and handle this. And so God lets him go, God lets him go down the mountain and handle this. And in his anger, he, he, he's taking the two tablets down the mountain. In his anger, he kind of throws them and they break. And so you'll see in, in a second that he has to go back up. But he ends up getting rid of all the people who caused this, this horrible idolatry. Kills them all. And and then God tells Moses, hey, it's time to go back up the mountain. And there's this beautiful part in Exodus where even before he goes up the mountain, God meets him at the bottom. God renews his covenant with the people of Israel at the bottom of the mountain because Moses prayed, because Moses cared, because Moses was leading the people in the ways of God. And so Moses goes up the mountain again. He gets two new tablets, and he's coming down the mountain. And I want to read for you. It'll be up on the screen. Exodus 34, verse 29. It's the context of 2 Corinthians 3, where we're going to plant ourselves here for just a few minutes. Exodus 34, verse 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. He had a certain glow about him. Because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron, and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with them in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. I don't know what you picture when you see that. I honestly just picture like a bride. I don't think Cassie Ford won the veil when maybe she did. I don't know. But this is what I picture, right? Like, it's been, I'm not even that old. I don't know why. But, but a veil, right? Like, 
things will say. Um, okay, a veil, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. This story, this is the context for what Paul ends up talking about in 2 Corinthians 3. And this is how we're going to answer those two questions. How do I come down the mountain without crashing down it? And then what do I do at the bottom of the mountain? I'm back in everyday life. I'm back in the routine and the rhythms of life. And I have to clean dishes and I have to do all these things. Now what do I do at the bottom? This is what 2 Corinthians, I think, is going to help us answer. And so... Let's, uh, let's just start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, verse 12. Paul starts by saying, Since we have such a hope. Since we have such a hope. And maybe, we don't have time, but maybe if you read 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 11, the context of this, this passage, maybe that word, you would understand that phrase, but because we don't have um, the time. Let me explain to you what this hope is. Since we have such a hope, what's the hope? And the hope is in the new covenant. You see, in the preceding eleven verses, Paul is Paul is talking about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he actually says something quite interesting. If you want to, if you want to look in verse nine. He, he refers to the Old Covenant as the ministry of condemnation. Now, it's such an interesting way to put it, because oftentimes we think of condemnation as like, oh, it's kind of like a bad thing, right? Well, no, no, no. What we need to understand, what you need to understand, and, and probably if you know Jesus, you probably already understand this, that the Old Testament was, or the Old Covenant was put in place so that you and I would be able to understand what sin is when we break it, when we cross the line, so that we would be able to understand the depth of our sin. Because, as every Christian knows, you will never, ever, ever appreciate, fully appreciate the grace of God until you understand the depth of your sin. And so God put this in place first, the ministry of condemnation, and now we find ourselves in, in the new covenant, in the ministry, what he says is the ministry of righteousness. And what he goes on in verse 1 through 11 to say, and then we actually refer back to it in our passage this morning, he says the difference is the spirit. In the new covenant, the ministry of righteousness, we have the Spirit, this is crazy. I hope you haven't been in church so long where this is just, oh yeah, of course we need to know. We have the spirit of the living God of the universe inside of us. And this spirit is convicting us of righteousness. This spirit is helping us to behave and act in a righteous way. And on top of that, because of Jesus' blood, if you believe in him, 
then you are declared righteous. Not because of what you did, but because of what he has done. The ministry of righteousness. And Paul says, this is our hope. This is our hope. And we are very bold. Then he says something interesting. Not like Moses. One of the fathers of the faith. We're not like him. Who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to them. See, Moses shouldn't have put a veil over his face. Why did he? Because he was afraid. The people came to him and they were afraid of him. His face shone just a little too bright for them to take in. And Moses didn't like that. Moses didn't like the people not liking him. Moses didn't like them fearing him. Moses didn't like being the outcast. And so he put a veil over his face so that the people would be able to come near him. People would be able to talk with him. And that's, and that's for us. I hope, you, I hope you understand this. That's, that's for us too. Because just because they don't get it at first doesn't mean we should just put a veil over our face and shy away. Just because that person that you're talking to about Jesus, or even just praying for, just because, like, you you surely had this happen, just because they don't get it at first, doesn't mean we just close off our blow. Doesn't mean we should just, like, okay, well, you didn't, that didn't go over super well right then, and so uh, I don't really want to be an outcast, I don't really want you to think that I'm weird or different, so I'm just going to stop doing any of that, because there we have an awkward moment where I tried to tell you a kind of about the hope that I have in Jesus, and then that was kind of a weird, because you didn't really, really take that or understand it super well, and so now I'm going to put a, every time I'm around you, I'm going to put a veil over my face, and if I could just implore you <coughs> to leave spectator Christianity in the Leave that idea that, okay, just because that didn't go over super well the first time means that I should just, I should just sideline myself. I should just say, you know what, I'm not really cut out for this whole thing. I'm not really good with words. I'm kind of more introverted. So I'm going to, I'm going to put myself on the sidelines and not shine anymore. And hear me, spectator Christianity is not worth it is your privilege to be bright. It's your privilege to be bright in a dark world. And people need to see you being bright. And when you put a veil over your face, you are suffocating your soul. You're suffocating soul. And you, Christian, were made for so much more than to limp into heaven on an oxygen-starved soul. Let's leave spectator Christianity in the dust 
not put a veil over our face and realize that it is our privilege to be bright. Even if, even if it makes us outcasts. And even if it's not received well the first time. I remember um, I, uh, I worked at Coach to pay for seminary. If you know what that story is, I'm not going to explain what that story is, but if you know what that story is, uh, <laughs> I worked at Coach to pay for seminary. And uh, I, uh, I was friends with most of the women there because it was mostly women working there. Uh, and uh, there's this one uh, feisty, sarcastic Albanian woman. Her name was Yetta. And uh, Mir Yetta was her full name. Yetta. And uh, we would talk often when we were working, we were both cashiers, and uh, we would often talk. And um, for one of my classes, I think it was like a world religions class, I had to go to three different places of worship. And I was telling her about this, and I decided that I was going to go, maybe you've never heard of this religion. I had never heard of it until I had to go there. I, I decided to go to the, the Chicago. Baha'i Temple, okay? Um, and it was massive. It was, it was so beautiful. Um, but uh, I told her, hey, I have to go to this. Um, and she sounded really interested in going to a, another place of worship. And I was like, hey, do you want to come with me? I, at that time, I was dating Cassie, so I checked with Cassie first. Yeah, it was much older than me, so it wasn't weird at all. But I, I told her, I told her to, uh, I, told her, I told her, you should come with me. So we go to this Baha'i Temple. We Talk with some of the people there about what they believe. Um, if you're interested in Baha'i, it's crazy. You can Google it if you want. But um, we talked with some of the people there, and then uh, her Albanian self decided that um, we should go out to lunch. And she chose a Lebanese restaurant. And if you know me, you know that I, I, I choked down all of that food that I was, I don't even know what I was eating. It was gross. But I choked it down to be polite. And um, I remember at that lunch, I just felt the spirit kind of saying, hey, we need to, like, we need to talk about, we need to talk about not only the differences between Christianity and this Baha'i thing, but we need to, uh, we need to be bold, we need to be bright, and at first I was like, oh gosh, God, this is not the right time, like, I'm, 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 I'm struggling to eat as it is, like, this is not, like, it's just it's not good timing, and, uh, but eventually I got up the courage, and I, and I, her about what I believe. I told her about Jesus and the hope that I have because of Jesus. And uh, do you know what happened? She didn't get saved right then. We left the conversation, uh, hopefully her understanding what I believed and why I believe it, and I don't know what she believes now. But just because it wasn't received super well. We didn't get a conversion right then at that Lebanese restaurant in downtown Chicago. But just because, I, I wanted to make it a point that every time I worked with Yeda and I coached and the remaining time I had there, that I would be right. And it's so easy to say, well, that didn't work the first time. I'm going to put a veil over my face. I'm not going to be bright. It is your privilege. Verse, we need to, we need to uh, go a little bit faster. So, um, verse, uh, verse 14. This is what verse 14, um, verse 14 says. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. 
Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And, man, isn't this a sobering reminder to us all? That yes, people's sin, yours and mine even, can harden someone's heart. Yes, our own sin hardens our hearts at times, but our sin also contribute to the hardening of somebody else's heart. And man, that doesn't feel good, does it? Ugh, I hate, I hate even just saying that, because that, I don't want that to happen. But it's true, because Moses put the veil over his, over his face, their hearts are, the people of Israel's hearts are hardened. And how you come down the mountain matters. Please catch this. How you come down the mountain matters, because whether you realize it or not, people are watching and waiting for you to shine. They're watching and waiting for you to shine. And when you're up on the mountain, you want to stay there, and it's so amazing, but when it's time to come down, and there's always a time to come down, how you come down matters. And whether you're getting back from a conference or a camp or a trip or maybe even a church service or maybe a night of worship, however you get up on the mountain, how you, what you do when you walk out those doors, your next steps matter a whole lot. Will you put a veil over your face or will you shine bright? I uh, remember um, I remember my best friend in uh, growing up. His name was Evan, and uh, he uh, he lived right next door. I could see his I could see his uh, his garage from where I lived, and I would always go check. Hey, is Evan home? Let's play basketball. And I always beat him, but um, that's, that's that's beside the point. Um, my best friend and I I got saved in eighth grade. I was at a retreat, a youth annual thing, um, and. Uh, they had a follow-up thing after that. And man, like, I was so on fire in eighth grade. I was like, oh my gosh, God, is the most amazing thing. I was emotional. Our Arnold Paul Junior High is emotional. And I, I wanted I wanted my best friend at the time to know about Jesus. And so I said, hey, Evan, man, you need to come to this follow-up meeting to this thing. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Like, it's going to be free food, all that kind of stuff. And, and to my shock, he said yes. Uh catches at the yard thing, the place that I got saved at, I made a whole lot of new friends, a whole lot of church friends that I really wanted to hang out with. And so we went to this follow-up meeting, me and Evan, and I totally abandoned him. I, I wasn't a good host. I didn't shine, right? I wanted to be with my, my, new, my new friends who loved Jesus. And, and I loved Evan very much alone and in the dust. I remember even a time where I'm hanging out with my friends. I think we're singing, and Evan's in the back sitting by himself. And I remember the feeling in my chest when I saw that. Because you see, our sin can contribute to the hardening of others' hearts. And even though Evan and I have lost touch, 
carried the guilt and shame of what I did to Evan for a long time. And it took a lot of prayer and a lot of weeping for me to come to a place where I wasn't condemning myself anymore and I wasn't shaming myself. But that's the reality for you and for me, that we can't contribute. How we come down from that matters. It does. But don't you love the hope that's found in this verse too? Did you see it in verse 14? Like that was a real sober moment, right? We were all like, oh gosh, this is depressing. But don't you love the hope? It says in verse 14b, because only through Christ is it the veil taken away. There is hope for heaven. And there is hope for the people that you have turned off. There is hope. Because only through Christ there is a way for heaven and for the people you've turned off from church and God. There is a way. All hope is not gone. There is a way for them to come to eternal life in Christ. There is a way. That's such good news. I love that. We have to keep moving on. That's my timer. Um, 2 Corinthians, I'm kidding, come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, <laughs> verse 16. But whenever one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's time to summarize, time to begin landing the plane. When the veil is removed, what happens? Do you see it in this verse? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, defined in that space, there is freedom. So when the veil is removed, there is freedom. Freedom to do what? Freedom to see that this book is filled with truth and hope. You, for me, for every lost person in our community, for every person we've turned away, this book is filled with hope. We can see better now that this book is leading us to eternal life found in Christ. We can see better and we can see our future. We can see what is ahead for us, what is coming for us who are in Christ, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful, and it's, we can see, when the veil is removed, there is freedom to see, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, because freedom is incredibly valuable. We've seen this throughout history, haven't we? Right? Like, the Revolutionary War was fought so that we could be free. Hundreds of thousands of people died for freedom. The Scottish Revolution from England. Braveheart, anybody? Come on. Breathe. The Scottish Revolution was fought. William Wallace fought and led the Scottish Revolution. He's a real person. Because freedom is valuable and worth fighting for. Because freedom and hope always go hand in hand. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is 
freedom. And when somebody turns back to the Lord, the veil is removed and they can see. They can see. Verse 18, how do we experience this kind of freedom when, when we're going down the mountain or when we're at the bottom? If it's that valuable and if freedom is easily accessible on the mountain, because that's where God is, of course, then how do we experience the same kind of freedom when we're at the bottom? Or even as we're going down? That's how you're going to shine brightest. It's when you're free from sin, from chains, and you're free from all the things that ail us in this world. Verse 18 is where we'll, is where we'll conclude. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you catch that? We behold, He transforms. We behold, glory of God, and He transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. We get brighter and brighter as we behold the glory of God. See, this is why this is why those people were at the door when you came in. Maybe with a smile and a high five or a handshake. This is why Anna Kutra was out in the door giving you the bulletins when you came in. This is why Josh Donzi is and Phil Each are up in the booth doing all of our sound and lighting and media. This is why everybody, this is why all those amazing people and PBC kids are there loving and caring for our kids. This is why, is because we Choose, and they sacrifice so that you and I can behold the glory of God and go up the mountain together. And that's been our prayer for so long, is that every Sunday we meet, you and I would go up the mountain of God we would experience his freedom, his grace, and his mercy afresh one more hour. And we would leave those doors brighter than when we came in. Because I'm convinced we behold what we see. So I'm going to end like this. We're going to do a practice, uh, an exercise in beholding. We're going we're to turn down the lights. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We do that. Close up, close your eyes. I'm convinced that we behold what we see, and I don't know what you see when you think of God. There's probably a whole bunch of different things that we see. People see different things when they think of God. Like not just God, but God. The God of the the God who spoke and universes came into it. The God who, for some reason, created 350,000 species of beetles, the platypus, the lion, the God of creativity and power. What do you behold? What do you?
like scripture to define what you see. Because that will determine how you behold the glory of God. So as I read these passages with your eyes closed, would you let these these descriptions of God define how you see God in this moment? Picture him. Let these words, let these words inform your, your mind on what God is like. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds, picture this, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all peoples will see his glory. Do you see him? Revelation 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. Picture this. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. <laughs> from, the, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, 